Price, and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks unity in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ by His Word through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. As Peter boldly confessed of Christ, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, we boldly confess the truth of the entirety of God's inerrant Word, nothing more and nothing less, all for the sake of a clear conscience in Christ for you. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We conclude our studies of the Augsburg Confession with the conclusion with a short appendix concerning indulgences. Now, these are all very important. In some ways, I feel like we should have talked about this at the beginning when we speak of indulgences, because this is the beginning of the 95 Thesis. We look at the conclusion. Even they admit this could have even been longer. When I look at this, too, over a decade ago, I was visiting a friend of mine in Chicago. And as we were at an independent bookstore looking at various kinds of books, we started talking to the owner. And this owner grew up Roman Catholic, and he told the story about they had this town festival and right outside his business, right on Main Street. And he stood on the corner kind of mockingly selling, quote, indulgences, telling people, if you buy this, you'll go to heaven. And at the end of the day, most people jokingly said, no, thank you, whatever it might be. But a few people actually bought one. This is in the 2000s. And they said, I need all the help I can get. So would you buy an indulgence? We'll talk about it more today. Is this even really a thing anymore? Well, it's something to ponder as we open up our Book of Concord, open up your Bibles, and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the Augsburg Confession, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome back Reverend Terry Forkey, President of the Montana District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Forkey, welcome back to Concord Matters. Good morning. Great to be here again. Pastor, we are at the very end of the Augsburg Confession. Actually, this is quite fun because you were here for the preface to the Augsburg Confession. So let's start here. Is it Why is the Augsburg Confession still um, important for us and the church today? Great. Good questions. Um, this confession, the Augsburg Confession, forms the basis of and is often referred to as the document forming the confessional substance of the Lutheran Church. And uh, particularly this, uh, the conclusion points us to something that's unique about this confession, and that is its intent at peacefulness. It didn't want to disrupt or it was not a refer or um, a rebellion in mind when Melanchthon penned these words. Um, and I guess the actual conclusion was written by Ruick, but, um, but the, the whole confession is presented as a way of saying this is what the Christian church teaches. And so you'll notice if you're looking at the conclusion that we have come up with nothing contrary to the scripture or the church universal. This is what the church has always taught. So it was not intended to be a rebellion. It was simply intended to reform some abuses that were, uh, that were mentioned in order to bring the church back to the, to the very kernel of the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, there are mentioned uh, earlier uh, at paragraph two some other examples that could have been brought up. And uh, what is interesting in this conclusion is that indulgences are mentioned, and it's very interesting that they do not appear 
in the body of the Augsburg Confession. And since it was the indulgences, the uh, indulgence abuses, arguably, that set Luther off uh, on the path toward Reformation, one might ask the question, why in the world didn't Melanchthon include an article on the abuses of the indulgences? The only thing that I can figure, and you probably have to get somebody smarter than I am in your program, but the only thing that I can figure is that it was too, indulgences are tied up too closely to the pap to papal authority. And he just didn't want to go there because he didn't want to rile uh, some anger. And so in, the indulgences were entirely left out of the body of the Augsburg Confession. That's why we're going to spend some more time on them today. And so it's a good reminder for us as we're looking at this is that it was an attempt of unity as opposed to separation. And I've done quite a bit of study of how American Lutheranism has looked at the confessions and, and what is our subscription to these confessions, which I'm looking forward to in the future, having us speak about how what does it mean to confess the truth of the Augsburg Confession, what it mean then and what does it mean today. But the focus of it always brings us back to justification by faith. So in Christ Jesus. So as we look at this today, we, we are reminded that the conclusion and the preface was not written by um, Melanchthon, but it was written by um, a man by the name of George Bruick. And I didn't say that correct as a German, but, uh, but it is a reminder that this was a lay person um, movement. It was not just a bunch of pastors getting together and, and making ideas, but it was a layperson. He was a chancellor of that time. Christian Bayer read the Augsburg Confession in German, and, and there was uh, Bruick with the Latin version in his hand, and they presented this to the king, um, to, to Charles, and they were reminded, this is what we believe, teach, and confess, and we pray the same boldness mm -hmm. for us today. So, Pastor, as we get into the conclusion, anything else you want to share? Um just a, a reminder that uh, these, this confession was made at the uh, request of the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. So uh, the, Roman, or the, the Lutherans weren't just trying to add people to the church. It wasn't like an advertisement. They were responding to a request for the emperor, for the evangelicals, they weren't called Lutherans yet, for the evangelicals to present what they teach and uh, we're not really sure what all the emperor hoped to, uh, to gain by seeing this presentation or hearing this presentation, but it wasn't uh, as if the, the Lutherans were trying to say, hey, everybody join our church. They were responding to a request from the emperor so that things could be settled down. Very good. So let's get to the conclusion. We are in the reader's edition of the uh, Lutheran Confessions, the Book of Concord, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, on page 62, the second edition on the conclusion of the Augsburg Confession. And we read, These are the chief articles that seem to be in controversy. We could have mentioned more abuses. But here we have set forth only the chief points in order to avoid making this confession too long. From these chief points, the rest may be easily judged. There have been, for example, a great, great complaints about indulgences, pilgrimages, and the abuse of excommunication. Our parishes have been troubled in many ways by dealers in indulgences. There were endless arguments between the pastors and the monks about who has the right in parishes to hear confessions, do funerals, give sermons on extraordinary occasions, and innumerable other, innumerable other things. 
We have passed over such issues so the chief points in this matter, briefly set forth, might be more easily understood. Nothing has been said or brought up for the rebuke of anyone. We have mentioned only those things we thought it was necessary to talk about, talk about, so it would be understood that the doctrine and ceremonies we have received, nothing contrary to Scripture or the Church universal. It is clear that we have been very careful to make sure no new ungodly doctrine creeps into our churches. We present these articles in accordance with your Imperial Majesty's edict in order to show our confession and let people see a summary of our teacher's doctrine. If there is anything that anyone might desire in this confession, we are ready, God willing, to present more thorough information according to the scriptures. And we have a listing of those who wrote their name on this. And also the boldness, as you almost hear these words as they're writing it, we are not trying to do something new. Um, we are simply trying to cling to God's word. Pastor, your other thoughts on the conclusion? So, yes, the, the last thing that I would want to say is just to uh, point out that last sentence. Um, the, the authors of the confession were always um, careful to say, this isn't like the, uh, the end of the discussion. We are certainly willing to go into debate, and that was kind of a major form of, of um, not only entertainment, but education during those days. It, we're certainly willing to debate these issues on the basis of Scripture. So, so it's not like uh, you might see in a, a strike setting where, you know, this is my final offer, take it or leave it. Uh, they're, they're saying, we want to get to the, to, to the truth of God's word. And so we're ready to present it. Um, and if anyone has a, desires, well, come ahead, God willing, we will present a more thorough information according to the, to the word of God. And may we do the same today. Absolutely. I think sometimes when we look at these things, we are not willing to say, okay, let's get together. Let's look at God's word and let's quote, hash it out, if you will. And that's something that may the Lord help us to do the same, because often we will just make excuses. We'll make up thoughts or we'll try to think of our own brain as opposed to just getting together in the scriptures, which is why we confess as Lutherans the whole Book of Concord, because that's our goal. What does God's word have to say, and how do we boldly confess it? Pastor, anything else? I think that's about it. I'd like to get to talking about the indulgences, because I think that's a, a key issue mentioned here, but it's a key issue that uh, is, is not in the confession, and it helps us understand the entire uh, work of the Reformation. Well, let's get to that. A reminder to our listeners, if you want to look even further into the Augsburg Confession, the background, because I think the conclusion and the preface really work together well. Um, understanding what's happening, we had uh, before even the editor's introduction with Dr. John Maxfield, who's up in Canada at Concordia University in Edmonton, who did a great job of looking at the history. And then we had uh, President Forkey as well speaking about the preface. So all of that helps bring a book and that together. I'm not trying to, we're not trying to go, at, you know, away from the conclusion, but a lot of what the conclusion just said is exactly even more thoroughly gives you an idea and the preface and also the editor's introduction that happened, well, months ago. So that's something to look into and, and look up on kfuo.org. But I turn your attention to page 64 of the second edition of 
the reader's edition of the Lutheran Confessions, because this is the center. I mean, when you think of Reformation Day, you think of the Reformation in general, you think of Lutheranism. It has almost everything to do with indulgences. As I mentioned, that this is something that even someone who grew up Roman Catholic understood in today's world, and he was very adamant he's not a confessing Catholic anymore. He understood this was a major situation for the Roman Catholic Church and still is. So this is something people know about. But yet there's a whole lot more of a system that we don't fully understand. And that's our goal today. So on page 64, understanding indulgences, we will read the note and dig even further. The following is a translation of an actual indulgence administered in 1515 by Albert, the Archbishop of Mainz and Mattingberg. It was designed to raise money for the completion of St. Peter's Catholic Cathedral in Rome. Excuse me. It guarantees forgiveness and provides for reception of communion, even when a person's territory was under a communion ban interdict by the Pope. For example, simply visit the church or churches of your choice on a day in Lent or another holiday. You will obtain as many indulgences and forgiveness of sins as if you have visited the church or churches in Rome on that same day. During an interdict, a bishop or pope would not permit masses to be said or any other sacraments to be administered in any churches of a given territory. Often interdicts were issued whenever the monarch of a country defied church authority. It was an effective weapon used by the medieval church to keep monarchs in line. The common people, in fear of dying outside of a state of grace, would frequently pressure their king to yield to the church's demand. To make sure everyone knows, this sample indulgence is not part of the Book of Concord. Before we actually get to the indulgence, the example, it's important because indulgences has a foundation. It has a whole system behind it, pretty, pretty much called the system of merit. Um, speak to that, um, uh, President Forky. Yes, no, so this is going to be pretty complicated, and I hope uh, listeners can hang on, but... I really believe that an understanding of Catholic, Roman Catholic doctrinal system is significant for us to, to truly capture what was going on in the Reformation, because the process of selling indulgences or the abuse of selling indulgences that happened during Martin Luther's time is what set him off, so to speak, and uh, forms the basis for everything that you read in the, his 95 Theses. So do we talk about the, you know, sort of the opening salvo of the Reformation in the 95 Theses? If you don't understand the system <clears throat> that the Catholic Church works under in order to produce indulgences, you really can't get what's going on in the 95 Theses, and therefore you miss an awful lot of what's happening in the Book of Concord, uh, particularly in the Augsburg Confession. So uh, Roman Catholic doctrine requires a system of merit for the sake of salvation when it says in its catechism, now I'm going to quote the, the Catholic catechism, or it's called, the actual title is the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You can pick up pretty much any edition of it. Um, I don't think the numbers change very often. I'm quoting from uh, 1459, so it'd be question 1459 in the, in the uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church. And it says, Absolution takes away sin, but it does not remedy all the disorder sin has caused. So what that means is that your sin is forgiven, 
but there's still something left over that needs to be taken care of, and that's the disorder sin has caused in this language. Sometimes it's called the offense against God and the offense against your neighbor. You might think of it in this way. A court of law could declare you innocent, but still require you to pay some reparations. That's somewhat akin to what's going on in the Catholic system. So in addition to absolution, that is the priest or the pastor would say that you're forgiven in the name of Jesus, then penance, which is not just confessing your sin, penance is another whole system which refers to the payment of a temporal punishment for the against, offense against God and against your neighbor. So what that means is, in simple terms, if you believe in Jesus, according to the Catholic system, you will be saved. That's why we accept them as Christians. However, Catholic doctrine re requires a payment toward the temporal punishment to overcome disorder or the offensive against God and neighbor. And paying that punishment occurs through the accumulation of merit. That's the so here's the system of merit that uh, President Finneran was referred to earlier. It, the payment of the punishment occurs through the accumulation of merit, which is accomplished generally through good works or through suffering. Now, let me just kind of put a practical example. If you have Roman Catholic friends who go to confession and uh, they confess their sins, the priest absolves them, and then he will assign penance or satisfaction. And most often today, that takes the shape of saying the rosary and saying the Our Father. So if you have friends who are, uh, you see them going through the rosary or saying the Our Father, which you probably won't do or you talk to them about it, what they are doing is they are practicing the system of penance to make satisfaction for their sins. Let me do it crudely, but graphically. Every person has, we'll just say, a cup or a glass. It must be filled with merit in order for salvation to occur. If you believe in Jesus, the cup's filled most of the way, you will be saved. But you must fill the rest of the cup through your own merit, and that is gained through good works or through suffering in this world, or we'll get to the rest of it. You can suffer in purgatory as well. So, President Finner, that's kind of a mouthful. I'd just give you an opportunity on the sake of your listeners, maybe if you have a question to clarify something I said there. One of the, I think from a practical standpoint, and we see this in Scripture, for example, with David, his sins were forgiven, but yet there are still consequences for his sin, that we can easily look at this and go, well, okay, maybe. And it kind of goes like this. A person sins. They go to their pastor, let's say, just go in Lutheran sense, they go to their pastor, they receive their forgiveness of sins, the full forgiveness of sins. But, for example, a husband, or I would say a wife too, have made some major mistakes in their marriage. Well, right now, they're forgiven, and, and, and thanks be to God, they are, because of the merits of Christ. However, now they have to go home, and they have to work in that relationship, because it's a mess. Um, both, you know, one or both of them, probably both of them have messed up enough that there needs to be some healing that occurs. So I can easily see how this can sound right 
because there is a certain amount where there's consequences for my sin and I have to kind of step it up a notch, if you will. How would you make that distinction for hey, very good, good Lutheran? So let's, let's make that distinction clear because that this is a huge point. There's a huge difference between suffering the consequences of sin and making payment for sin, which penance actually does. You don't gain any merit before God because you're suffering the consequences of sin. That's simply a, a, a temporal or an, an earthly result. But in the Catholic system, when you are participating in satisfaction or, or penance, what you're actually doing is gaining merit before God in order to uh, reach the perfection required for salvation. As we look at the merit system, there was a movie I one, once watched where this young man would go to confession and he made a lot of, you would go through the whole list of sins and they were pretty, pretty crazy actually. And the priest would hear it. And then he would like one time he said, okay, 10 Hail Marys and 10 Our Fathers. Okay. Leaves the guy, give it a fist bump. And then he walked out. And then there's about 10 times in the movie that he actually went through this. And one of the moments, this young man went through his list and the priest said like a smaller number than the week before. And the guy's like, how do you even determine what I need to do for this merit? Or he didn't say those words, but what, what, how do you even determine this? Do you have a system or something? Was there a system that kind of wrote it out? If you do this sin, it's this much or this sin, it's that much. Any, any idea on that? Yeah, that's a great question. And apparently not. So let me just, let me, let me go a little bit further. And I think we'll get to a, a good answer for that. As Great. soon as you posit a system of merit, you will immediately be met with two logical questions that must be answered or the system is going to crash. So let's try this. What if a believer accumulates more merit, that is, does more good works or suffers more than, than is necessary for his own salvation? The answer that the Catholic system gives is they develop the treasury of the church or a treasur treasury of satisfaction but most often now known as the treasury of merits. That is someone, Jesus primarily, and then all the other saints. We don't have time today to go on to the whole saint system, but those people who have done more than necessary for their own salvation, their merit goes into a treasury of the church, which the Pope and anyone to whom he gives the authority to has the right to distribute as he sees fit. So that's kind of the answer there really isn't a, uh, like a metric or a matrix, I should say, by which you determine this one or that one. It's kind of depends on each priest or uh, in, in terms of satisfaction uh, in the confessional. And then when it comes to indulgences, it depends on the Pope. He gets to do what he wants. Now let's try the second question. What happens if a believer dies before he has accumulated enough merit to attain salvation? Hmm. Because he's saved, he believes in Jesus, but he hasn't overcome all of the effects. And the answer of the Catholic system is purgatory. In purgatory, that's the place where believers suffer in order to gain the merit necessary for their salvation. Or, or another way of kind of picture language is they are purging their sins so that they can reach the perfection that's necessary for salvation. But the only way to gain a merit in purgatory is suffering. So it's just a place of suffering. And as soon as you posit the existence of a treasury of merits, then you have to say, well, who gets to distribute it? And the answer is the Pope. 
Now, so let me just do uh, again from the Roman Catholic Catechism, and in, back to the question of indulgence. An indulgence. So I'm quoting now. This is um, this is question 1471. 1471. If anybody wants to follow along in the Catholic Catechism, an indulgence is a remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven. Everybody with me? Temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven, but there's still something left over. And a remission of the temporal punishment. Which a faithful Christian who is duly disposed gains under certain prescribed conditions through the action of the church, which as the minister of redemption dispenses and applies with authority the treasury of the satisfactions of Christ and the saints. So an indulgence means you get X amount of years out of purgatory. And what happened at the time of the Reformation was the Pope said, I'm going to start selling these indulgences. You don't get an indulgence simply because you've done a good work, but I'm going to start selling these indulgences. And you could sort of buy a franchise to sell indulgences in various parts of the Roman Empire. And then there came many abuses. Um, I want to note <clears throat> that this is still around. If you pick up any Bible that has been published by a, a Roman publishing house that has an imprimatur of an archbishop or the pope himself, you will find in the beginning of it something like this. I'm reading from, from my Douay version. An indulgence of five years, a plenary, plenary indulgence under the usual condition that is granted if this certain prayer is recited daily for a month. And then an indulgence of 300 days is granted to all of the faithful who read the Holy Scriptures at least a quarter of an hour. I assume that means daily as well. So it's still around. Those indulgences are granted for something that you do, but at the time of the Reformation, the major abuse was they began to sell indulgences. And that was what really set Luther off. Well, we want to hear more about this, but we need to take our break. We are concluding our study of the Augsburg Confession and understanding indulgences. We'll be right back. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We are concluding our study of the Augsburg Confession and Understanding Indulgences with Pastor Terry Forkey of the Montana District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Now, Pastor, I'm going to kind of ask the obvious question here is uh, if indulgences are still around, because <laughs> I think for many of us, we're like, well, those were the problems back then. And if they're still around today, well, this is this is a real issue because we, you know, we're AC4 uh, folks. We're justification by faith alone. 
if there's ever a moment like that, we need to, um, well, I think be more bold or I guess I don't know how to say it because I know you are listeners and for many people in the pews, we assume that that's been cleaned up, but you're saying it's still around. Oh, yeah, it's still a lively part of the church and it forms a, a pretty big chunk of the uh, catechism of the Catholic Church. So uh, just so your listeners don't uh, think that I'm making this up, check out, you can check it out at the library if you don't have a copy yourself or buy it for yourself. I'm not sure how much anymore it costs, but read through it and it's a major part of the system today. But but the abuses, I think you could say, the abuses of the sale of indulgences has been cleaned up. But the whole concept of the system of merit is still the foundation of the Catholic system. And that is, again, quoting the catechism, Catholic catechism, absolution takes away sin, but it does not remedy all the disorder sin has caused. The believer, a faithful believer, is responsible for remedying the disorder that his or her sin has caused. And the only way to remedy that disorder is through good works or through suffering either in this world or in purgatory. Now, this, as long as I'm wowing you with this whole concept of purgatory, um, because yeah, I'm sure your listeners will have heard of purgatory, and that once you understand purgatory, then you're, it's going to make sense that the whole system of indulgences still exists as well. So, yeah, at the time of the Reformation, Frederick the Wise, you may remember him, had a collection of relics. And this is sort of a bizarre from our perspective. Uh, he was said to have a straw from the manger, a splinter of the cross, some, <laughs> wildly enough, some milk from the Virgin Mary, and all sorts of things like that. Um, I forget what, it was somewhere in the thousands of relics. And it was said, written, you can still find this, that if a faithful believer went to visit the relics of Frederick and paid the required amount of money for that visitation and visit every single relic, he would get 1,902,000, plus I've forgotten hundreds, 1,902,000 years out of purgatory. So that just kind of lets you know the scale of, of suffering that the Catholic system proposes for purgatory. You could be there for a long time. You would eventually be saved, but you could be there for a long time. So that's why the system developed that you could buy indulgences for yourself to get years off of purgatory. By the way, reading the Bible, according to this edition of the Douay version that I have, reading the Bible for a quarter of an hour every day will get you 300 days out of purgatory. Um, you know that you're, you, you know, eventually you're going to be saved. You're going to get to heaven because of Jesus, but you're going to suffer for a long, long time. So let's, what, what would it hurt the faithful? to allow them to buy some years off. And in the process, this is what the Pope did at the time of the Reformation, use that money to pay off St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. So Luther took a look at these, uh, the, that system and particularly the abuses of that system. And that's what 
drove him to write what we now know as the 95 Theses. It was like the opening shot of the Reformation period. Um, I should mention here, uh, again, just to kind of clarify a bit, the Pope can grant a partial uh, uh, indulgence, like the one I read from the Bible, 300 days or five years, or he could actually grant a plenary indulgence, which means the, the entire time of purgatory, out you would go. You would be, you'd be done with purgatory. That's significant for one of the, the theses of Luther that I, I hope to get to if I don't talk too much about this other stuff. Um, but also, you can buy those indulgences for someone else. And someone else can get the merit of your good works of buying the indulgence. So this was kind of like a, a, a double whammy. You would, get, you would get the indulgence and you would get the merit for doing a good work for buying something for someone else. And then the person would get the merit of the indulgence that you had just bought. <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was a pretty good system if you don't think about Jesus. Because you will notice that in all this talk about the treasury of satisfaction or the system of indulgence, Jesus is never mentioned. That's right. He's not there. This is something the church invented in order to round out the system of merit. As I said at the very beginning, once you posit a system of merit, which they do in 1459 in the Catholic Catechism, you've got to come up with all this other stuff in order that the system just doesn't crash. I'd encourage you, our listeners, that as we look at the system, there's parts of this that kind of make sense. You, you're thinking through it, you're like, yeah, if I do that sin, there has to be some form of payment. You know, okay, God forgives me, I know that, but I have to do this, this, and this. So how do we do that? Well, here's a list. So it, some of this makes total sense. Uh, you know, let me ask you this, uh, Pastor Forky, as you as you looked through this, uh, it seems to me that one, I get a little confused, a little bit overwhelmed. It kind of tickles the ears or tickles the heart even as I hear it, because you're like, I want direction. I want an understanding of what I need to be doing. But also you're kind of like, I'm exhausted just listening to what you have to say, because I don't even know where to begin. Was there a system now, this is a system of merit. But was there a prescribed, like, okay, you have the, um, the, the Hail Mary, you have the Our Fathers, but was there a kind of a list of, okay, do this work, and that's even better compared to this work, and that's not as good, or this is good, but, you know, this, this many years, or was there any kind of system that was laid out in any form? Not that I know of. There's not like a matrix that compares, as I said, the, it was yeah. up to the discretion of the Pope in terms of plenary or, 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 uh, or partial indulgences, and it's up to the it's up to the local priest in terms of the assignation of uh, assigning um, a satisfaction to each individual that comes to confession. Um, so I don't, I, I'm unaware of somebody else, like I said, somebody smarter than I might know of a matrix that exists. But um, yes, it is exhausting. And, and here's, this is why we're Lutheran. And I will just say, if you pay careful attention to evangelical doctrine, you will find that maybe not quite so blatantly but it does the same thing. There is Jesus and my works. Mm. Lutherans, you know, I'm Lutheran, so I might be a bit biased, but Lutherans are the only one that say Jesus is sufficient. He does it all. 
you can't make up for any any sins that you've done by your good works or by suffering in this world or in some place called purgatory. Jesus has done everything for you. And that's much less exhausting. That's why Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So President Fernand, there was a marvelous introduction when you said, I'm exhausted. That's exactly the point. <laughs> the system of merit exhausts you. And that's what Luther had done. He had reached a point of exhaustion. You remember those times when he was trying to make himself right by beating himself or by starving himself? He was exhausted because he just couldn't do it. He couldn't do enough. And then he read the good news of Jesus and it made sense. Jesus has done it all and I rest in him. I don't have to exhaust myself and I don't have to go around buying indulgences. Jesus has done it all. We look at the ending of, for example, uh, individual confession absolution. If you were to go to our hymnal, which I often will tell you, our listeners, to do, go to the Lutheran service book, and you go to individual confession absolution, the fascinating thing for me is after the pastor has has given you the forgiveness on account of Christ, once, once again, you don't ever talk about forgiveness without mentioning Jesus, you know, <laughs> it's his forgiveness, not our own, that the ending of it is not, okay, now and go do this. It simply says the words, go in peace. And this is a very important distinction that you will see. And I will admit this often, and this is as President Forky said so well, there are times where people will say, well, you're not given enough instruction. You're not given enough exhortation. Where exactly what Luther is trying to do is cling to what scripture clearly says about forgiveness. Now, we need instruction, no doubt about that. But also we need people to rest in the forgiveness of sins that's been won and the merits have been set. You know, everything has been satisfied in our Lord Jesus, as you said so well here, Pastor Forky. So there's a there's a very important um, intentional way that Luther uh, wrote these things, um, emphasized these things that Concordians were committed to, is that if you lose AC 14, or excuse me, 4, a justification by faith that Christ has made full satisfaction, you in essence lose everything. Pastor, your reflections on that as we look at all this whole system. Yeah, that's a great way to say it, that, that, that Jesus is everything. So Jesus is our sufficiency. And if and once you lose that, you you have nothing left. Um, and I I was just teaching this just the other day in, an, in another setting. And and I was saying, I was teaching some leaders of the church, actually lay leaders. And, um, and I said, now make sure in everything that you produce for us, you make the connection of G with Jesus. And then I read an example from another church and, and I said, now, who is missing? They all said, well, Jesus is not there, <laughs> right? So don't leave Jesus out. And that's what we're, we're you know, our, our sinful flesh and, and the devil in the world are constantly pushing us to our own merits, our own good works, our own righteousness, something that we produce and leave Jesus out. Or another way of saying it is, Jesus plus. So like you hear the sermon, now you're forgiven, now go and do, you know, do better, work harder. And, and it's that, that sort of language or conclusion pretty much destroys the gospel because it takes Jesus away. Well, if now I have to go do better in order to be saved, then what did Jesus do for me? 
So don't leave Jesus out. Make him the sufficiency. So there's a huge distinction between saying, now go and do better in order to, or we, as the people of God, have the Holy Spirit working righteousness in us because we are believers, because he has given us the gift of faith. And that's not what the Roman Catholic system says. That's what Lutherans say. Let's dig into the indulgence, and I have a few other thoughts I have. But this is its a great reminder of, okay, this is what it actually looked like. This was a, an indulgence that was administered in 1515, which had been two years prior to Luther speaking about the ills or the abuses of indulgences of that time. Um, so as we read through it, once again, this is not part of the Book of Concord. This is not what we subscribe to, but it does just kind of give us a background to when we speak about all that is um, in the Lutheran confessions and help us understand it. So we grant indulgence. Albert, by the grace of God and the apostolic see, Archbishop of Mainz and Maddenburg, Administrator of the Churches of Halberstadt, Primate of Germany, Archchancellor and Elector Prince of the Holy Roman Empire, Duke of Mark Brandenburg, Stettin, Pomeranian, Pomerania in Pomerania, and Kashubans and Slavs, Burgrav of Nuremberg, Prince of Rugia. Greetings in the Lord to those dear to us in Christ. You have agreed to undertake an act of sincere and fervent devotion for the Church of Rome. You have given to the building of the Basilica of St. Peter an immense undertaking requiring skillful production. Your contribution will not only benefit that city, but also shows that you are obedient to our commands. Since you have given gener generously to our cause, you encourage and persuade us to agree to fulfill your requests. You have long and fervently asked us that you might have an altar stone on which mass can be said. You have been looking for an altar where mass can be said without the meddling of foreign laws. We hereby grant your request. If you should happen to enter into regions, placed under ecclesiastical interdict of the authority of an ordinary bishop. Nonetheless, you will not find yourself standing outside the doors of the church, excommunicated as it were. Instead, as long as you live, you will be able to celebrate Mass by yourself if you are a priest. If you are a layperson, you have Mass celebrated for you. You may use your own priest or another priest, any other priest. It does not matter whether the priest is a diocesan priest or a member of a religious order. This permission extends especially to the Easter Mass, even the Mass at sunrise. Of course, you may do this only if you yourselves have committed the sin that caused the land to be placed under the interdict. You may also get any as many indulgences and pardons for sin by visiting a church of your choice as if you had made a pilgrimage to Rome. Simply visit the church or churches of your choice on a day in Lent or another holiday when pilgrims visit the various churches around Rome. By taking a trip to a local church or churches, you obtain as many indulgences and forgiveness of sins as, it, as if you have visited the church or churches in Rome on that same day. You can also be given full Christian burial, even if you happen to die when your country is under an interdict. Of course, to receive this benefit, you must not have committed the sin for which the land had been put under the interdict. We issue this decree by the apostolic authority given to us by the, the, the letter we grant indulgence, written by our most holy Lord, Leo X, 
Pope by the grace of God. Nonetheless, please do not use a dispensation of this kind until the day you celebrate Mass or if you have celebrated on your behalf. For when our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the radiance of eternal light, is being sacrificed in the liturgy on the altar, it is fitting that it is not done in the darkness of night, but in the light. We order that the individual be communed into whose trust the present letter has been given and the seal has been affixed. Date, in the year of our Lord, 1515, on the, quote, day of the month of, of blank, during the pontificate of our aforementioned Lord, the Pope. Pastor, my first thought here is Jesus is mentioned twice, but it definitely not, he's not driving the verbs, if you will. And once again, I'm exhausted and probably more confused than when I started. How do you want to, how do you want to clear this up for us? So this, this may not be the best example of uh, the indulgences uh, against which Luther was writing the 95 theses. Um, This is an example of an indulgence that the Archbishop of Mainz wrote because the, um, uh, this particular area under him, and that's why he lists all those, all those places. Um, had made a contribution to the the building of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. So it was all to raise money. So you'll notice it talked about your fervent devotion, um, you've given to the building. So you know your contributions, that those three are all in the second paragraph. So they gave some money. And as a result of that money, they have a particularly um, indulgence regarding, the, this is interesting, it was just a re- indulgence regarding any interdicts that a foreign government might place upon the Archbishop of Mainz's areas that were under his control. So if someone else said you can't commune, uh, the Archbishop of Mainz said, I've given you an indulgence, you can commune, no matter what their sin was. Um, but it, it does tell you the what was actually going on, and that is that indulgence or the opportunity to gain merit was part of the system and everyone understood it and everyone accepted it. And at this time it was indulgences were being sold for money. So we can sort of use that indulgence as a springboard to, to jump off to the, the kind of abuses that took place um, that caused Luther to write the 95 Theses. So it's okay with you. Let's let's just take a look at 95 Theses. And we just have a few minutes left. Let's yeah. go for it. Got 10 minutes. Go for it. Okay. All right. So um, if your listeners have an opportunity to look at the 95 Theses, if they haven't before them, or maybe uh, later on, they can go find a copy of them. I'm going to read a number of them and try to explain what, what was going on there, why Luther wrote as he did. So the first of the Theses is, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Luther was understanding, understanding repentance the way we do, that is, turning away from our sin. Thesis two is, this word cannot be understood as referring to the sacrament of penance. So that's where I was, That's what I just explained to you a little bit earlier. The sacrament of penance is, I am going to pay for the offense or the disorder caused by my sin by some of the good works or the suffering that I do. And commonly found today, and even at that time, as reciting the rosary or saying the Our Father 
or some other good works. And the reason that Luther was doing this was because of the abuses. So, for example, he calls, um, there, were, there were, as I mentioned earlier, the Pope sold franchises uh, to various preachers to go around in regions of Rome, actually regions of the Roman Empire, to sell these indulgences. And Luther listened to some of them. He called them indulgence preachers or indulgence hawkers. Those are in uh, uh, the 21st Theses. And uh, I've got another one where he calls them the hawkers. That's 51, where he calls them the hawkers of indulgences. So there were abuses. So for example, one of the abuses was, you may have heard this before, Luther quotes uh, these hawkers of indulgences as saying, as soon as the money in the kettle clings, the soul from purgatory uh, flees. So uh, the idea was, uh, these preachers were saying, you put the money in, you pay us your money, and you can buy somebody out of purgatory. Th there were terrible abuses that were going on. And, uh, and people were putting their trust in abuse, excuse me, in indulgences rather than in Jesus. So uh, thesis 32, those who believe they can be certain of their salvation because they have indulgence letters will eternally be damned together with their teachers. For the graces of indulgences are concerned only with the, this is 34, the penalties of sacramental satisfaction established by man. So Luther understood this, the penitential system or the penit, system of penance was a system created by man. Um, a truly repentant Christian has the right to full remission of penalty and guilt, even without indulgence letters there. So there he gets to the core of it. That's uh, 36 that we don't need indulgences. But he was very upset. Now, in the 95 Theses, Luther does his best, I, I think, to try and kind of defend the Pope. And he, and he goes on saying that the Pope really doesn't understand the abuses that were, that were, the preachers were, were using against the people in order to gain money. Because those who bought franchises would skim a certain percentage off off the top of what, whatever they earned by selling these indulgences. At 62, thesis 62, you hear this, uh, actually it's 60, uh, 59 through uh, 66, Luther discusses the whole treasury of satisfaction. And he says, the true treasure of the church, you might guess, that's, this is thesis 62, the true treasure of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the excess merit of other saints and so on. Um, and then we'll kind of get to the core of it. Theses 81 through 89, Luther really kind of takes off the gloves and he says that, that the Laity have certain questions, and they are shrewd and perhaps crude. And the worst one is this. This is 82. Why does the Pope not empty purgatory for the sake of love? That one really strikes at the heart of the system. If the Pope really has the authority to distribute the treasury of satisfaction, the treasury of the church, at his will, why doesn't he just empty it? And uh, that was the one that really got him in trouble. And perhaps, as I mentioned earlier, maybe that's why Melanchthon didn't want to go there, because 
the end result of that, of course, is the excommunication of Luther because he had transgressed the authority of the Pope. He had, he had mocked him. So once you understand uh, the system of merit and indulgences and the, uh, the sacrament of penance, then read through the 95 Theses and they begin to make sense. They're all really focused on that whole system and what it does to leave Jesus out. The true treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins we have in his name, adding or requiring nothing else. I love the last few theses where it says, Away then, this is 92, Away then, with all those prophets who say to the people of Christ, Peace, peace, and there is no peace. Blessed be all those whose prophets say to the people of Christ, Cross, cross, and there is no cross. Christians should be exhorted to be diligent in following Christ, their head, though through penalties, death, and hell, and thus be confident of entering into heaven through many tribulations rather than through the false security of peace. So it really, I mean, it just brings back, like you said, are they speaking of Jesus? Oh, of course, is Jesus being the driver of the verbs, as I mentioned before? Is the peace found in Jesus or is it trying to be found in something else? And it's very clear that these indulgences were trying to find peace in oneself. How do I know if I made the, the moniker? Well, the, the priest said so. Like, okay, so what's his authority? Well, the Pope, okay, what's his authority? And that's why our center always goes back to the word of God and obviously Christ and him crucified. Pastor, we have about two minutes left in our time. Let, let me ask it this way is can you summarize when we talk about the, the, the system of merit and how we see things as confessors of the Augsburg Confession and also why it's important to, to our listeners today? Sure, I, that's, that's, that's a good way to end. So I'm gonna go back again, just so you know, uh, listeners know I'm not making this up, Catholic Catechism, um, question 1459, and the, uh, and the answer is the absolution takes away sin but it does not remedy all the disorder sin has caused. And then it goes on by saying, so this is what you have to do. So what do we say? We say, Augsburg 14, um, uh, John chapter 3, verse 16, if you believe in Jesus, it's done. Jesus says it's finished. There's no Jesus plus. It's Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus. He is our Savior, and his work is, suffi is sufficient. It has finished all that is necessary. If you call on the name of the Lord, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved because Jesus does all the work that is necessary for us. His atonement, his, his uh, uh, sacrifice for us, creating atonement for us, is all that is necessary. We believe and trust in him and in nothing that we can do for ourselves. Pastor Terry Forkey, president of the Montana District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Forkey, thank you for being our guest. Yes, thank you very much. God's peace to all of you. For you, our listeners, we've gotten through the Augsburg Confession. We are going to dig into the background and the history of the apology coming up here soon. But I encourage you, our listeners, this is a lifelong endeavor. Looking at the confessions, but as Pastor Forkey just said so well, keeping our eyes centered on Jesus, Jesus, nothing but Jesus. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finnern. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe.